What's up, everybody? It's another edition of Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network. I am J.D. Bunkus, joined as always by Donovan Bennett, a even more exhausted level of Donovan Bennett. Uh, how you doing, man? At this moment, I'm good. I'm talking basketball, so I'm re-energized. Yeah. I keep going back and forth on these things, and I'm sure that you feel some type of a similar way where I go, okay, are we going to talk about sports right now? Because I don't really feel like talking about sports quite often, but it is my job. And then I go... Well, should people be distracted? Isn't this part of what has helped create a bit of a moment in time here? The idea that people don't have too many things to distract themselves. And then I go back into, well, is it my job to be taking away from people's distractions if they do want to have one? Because I still like looking at NBA play-in scenarios. I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of days still even looking at some of this stuff uh, in regards to news in the NBA. Is that kind of the way that you feel about it too? Like that this is actually, despite everything, you want to be focusing on stuff because you're accustomed to it in terms of sports, but that there is still like this weird tinge of like a level of guilt. Yeah. I mean, I don't really feel guilty. I don't think, I hope anyways, that this is a movement and not a moment in that the conversation about racial inequality and racism in general is a longstanding one. And thus we're going to have to be able to have other conversations as well at the same time. Right. This is, Pride Month, the month of June, we should be, mm-hmm. you know, celebrating all the strides in the LGBTQ plus community, but also talking about the real uh, struggles and inequities there. And and we should also, you know, at some point be able to talk about sports. I think when sports comes back, there's going to be so much media attention on the players in July that that's going to be a great platform for for those guys to be able to use them to double down on on these issues i love the fact that you know in some of the scenes of the the protests we've seen the videos and the photos that we saw steph curry and clay thompson in, you know walking and protesting literally in the same square where you know they had championship parades i love that i saw mm-hmm. kyle lowry in, in philadelphia protesting that i saw demar rosen or russell westbrook in la protesting like the the first time I've seen a lot of NBA players throughout this pause has been them doing stuff that's much bigger than basketball. So um, I think there is space for for both conversations, uh, as long as you're not diluting, uh, you know, the important one to get to the less important one. But I, but I do think at some point, and that point will be different for everyone, the sport is going to help uh, illuminate that conversation and highlight it. Like everyone's different. I, I um you know, I had like um, a sponsored post that I had to post uh, this weekend. I actually was supposed to post it last weekend. And I was like, definitely not posting it last weekend. And even this weekend, I felt uncomfortable doing it. Like I, I could have personally done it, but I didn't want it to be misconstrued as though I don't care about what's going on. So yeah, we're, we'll all kind of navigate and assimilate those real important thoughts to our everyday thoughts on our own timeline. Well, I, yeah, I think even part of this, though, is that that these things become a little bit more intertwined and that part of the uncomfortableness of all of it is something that people just need to be able to overcome. Like, I just think in terms of just feeling like there is some level of, of real progress happening here, that if we're going to learn from lessons like what happened with Colin Kaepernick and and his peaceful protest is that it became this whole discussion of well, stick to sports and we want, you know, sports is sports and then we want everything else outside of it. And that we're kind of coming to the reality that, hey, listen, 
that's just not possible anymore. And it's not even welcome anymore that sure, you should still be able to enjoy and, and watch a sporting event, but you should also still not let that just become this complete like void from yeah, political and social realities that, that these two things are going to be become, yeah, more and more tied, especially as we move into the, I think the NBA playoffs, when I would assume that you're going to see players make demonstrations that you are going to see players continue to protest. It's going to be one of the like dominant conversations. I think probably in the the weeks leading up on just about every talking head show is, is what exactly that's going to be. Uh, I, I spoke with David Fisdale last week on, on good show. And we, we talked about this and, and he said it wouldn't surprise him. So I, I just think that part of it has to just be that, yeah, we are still continuing conversations that we are still making sure that, we discussed the idea of, okay, well, like you said it, you're seeing a lot of players being vocal, but are we going to see ownership? Are we going to see leagues actually make adjustments that these things are just going to continue throughout the course of, as we see things back, but that we're also still going to be able to balance that with, yeah, our excitement just to see a sport that we love, a sport that we are passionate about. And I, I guess like maybe we'll start there, which is, so we have this return to play format. We, everybody's signed off on it. The NBA is coming back. We haven't, been spending much time actually looking at this thing. What is the first thing when you saw this? Other than I'm, I'm guessing your level of surprise that maybe that it came together this quickly. But what is it to you that has stuck out out of this format, out of just everything that that looks like at least on paper we are going to see in Orlando in about two months from now? So I mean, listen, like why are the Suns there? Honestly, yeah. <laughs> like well, and I mean, the Wizards, these, they're there because the Wizards need to be there. I guess I just I, I just. I don't. I don't think it's that smart. I don't think it's prudent. I don't think anybody cares about those teams being there. I don't think those teams probably want to be there. And I understand everyone's like, "Oh, you know, is there going to be an asterisk? Is there not going to be an asterisk?" I kind of feel like the league is making it up as they go. Which, in fairness, they're face, they're facing a global pandemic. We're all kind of making it up as we go. But you, you're you got a team like the Pelicans, for example, which the league is clearly desirous to get in the playoffs. I feel like this entire thing and it is so that Zion can get into the playoffs, but they had a relatively easy schedule left to play, as did the Raptors. Mm-hmm. But since you have just chopped out the bottom eight teams, anyone who is playing a lot of those teams now has a remaining schedule that is much more difficult. Forget about how many home or away games you had. If you had a difficult schedule for the part of the season that was played, by default, you have an easier schedule. But if there are no easy teams left, by default, you have a difficult schedule again. So I I just think the way that they've gone about like, oh, we're going to have this random play-in where depending on how many games back you are, that's how many games you have to beat the other team. Like it's just – it's I don't know. It's a reality show and it's not the best way to figure out who the NBA champion is because all of these teams you're talking about are not going to be the NBA champion. So if it's just about handing out the Larry O'Brien trophy in the safest way possible, there are so many other scenarios that they could have come up with that didn't include this amount of teams, that didn't include this amount of games in such short order, and that didn't include this amount of games that, frankly, outside of people who are betting on them, unless you're in that market, are you going to care? About the regular season games or about the playing games? Well, both, but certainly about the playing games. Yeah. So I, 
I'm actually really surprised at how much I like the format. If you would have told me uh, just a month ago, remember the conversation we had with Howard Beck? So enlightening to me where he was talking about the support staff that needs to be involved in this. Just all of the considerations that I think were very, very easy for sports fans to overlook. If you would have told me that there would have been 22 teams coming back, we would be operating some regular season games that we wouldn't just be going right into the playoffs. I would have said, you're nuts. There's just no way that that's going to happen. And we've kind of reached this point where, okay, I still don't understand the mathematics of the added risk here for adding extra teams and whether or not this is worth it when overall, uh, you, as you've stated all along, and I agree with you, that the end game here has to be handing out the Larry O'Brien trophy. But assuming that this goes off without a relative hitch, and by hitch I mean without having a spread amongst the Orlando basketball community, like without the, having the NBA deal with large spread positive COVID tests, that you have a regular season now that's going to allow players to warm up. You're going to have a regular season where I think it's just the right amount of games where you can see some real shuffling between two and seven in the Western Conference and then eight and tw- and 11 in the Western Conference where, okay, the only thing that's really going to matter now is seeding to me. That no longer, we're not going with the bracket format. We're going to have reseeding. You're not going to have home court advantage in traditional ways. You're losing a lot if you're the Lakers. But all of a sudden, if you're the Clippers, you have to make sure that your act is in order basically the second you step back out on the court or else, you know, the Nuggets are only a game and a half back from you, have a real opportunity to leapfrog you. Or if you're the Utah Jazz or the Oklahoma City Thunder or the Houston Rockets or the Dallas Mavericks, that all of these teams are going to be jockeying for position to make sure that maybe they're not facing the Clippers in the first round. Maybe they don't want to be facing. There's a matchup that they don't like here, that all these games are going to be, I think, important for at least the first few of them. And then when it comes to the Zion thing, I totally agree with you. I I think that so much of this play-in format is part of it is definitely that they needed a few added teams to make the regular season stuff work. But that I've I've wondered, does this exist this year? Do they actually go forward with this this season, if not for Zion? And the potential of having him play the Lakers in a first-round playoff matchup or having the potential for him and John Morant to be going, or Jamie and Lillard to be going head-to-head in an eight versus nine play-in that basically seals play-ins moving forward in the future permanently. So I kind of like the format. I think there's a couple of too many teams. I I agree. I don't think that the Suns or Wizards need to be there, but they needed to have that for whatever reason, the the potential for the Eastern Conference play-in thing. But overall, I just, I think that this is going to lead to a higher level of play, that it's going to lead to a higher level of intrigue, and that you're really taking advantage of what the NBA has better than any other league in, in all of professional sports, which is, trying to maximize interest through your star power. Yeah, I just think when you're talking about the two teams who are going to be in the NBA Finals, they're going to be in Orlando for three months. And so by then, they're certainly going to be more uh, than warmed up and ready to go. And when you look at the fact that there's going to be such little time in between uh, seasons, you're going to have 29 days in between Game 7, assuming it goes that far, the NBA Finals, and the opening of training camp, now that the season is going to start December 1. Like, do we need this amount of games to hand out the trophy? No. No, we don't. And and the other thing is, so now there's eight, only eight teams that are not playing, right? Which is, um, you know, less than some of the numbers that were thrown out. Well, those eight teams are kind of like, oh, well, we get left out. We need a fall you know, round robin so that our guys aren't rusty. And so now we're potentially talking about even more meaningless basketball games being played where if they cut it off at, you know, 
16 and, and you could have said well listen you play less games all the time it's called not making the playoffs so your off season is just a little bit earlier deal with it that's my concern is the cost benefit analysis between the basketball that i care about and mm-hmm. the basketball that's just going to happen for the sake of it happening yeah and i do think that for some of those other teams like uh, here's the reality of the situation what you're saying is it's not even debatable Like the most important thing is making sure that we have a champion. Uh, The most safe way for us to do this is to limit the amount of time that guys need to be here and that guys and the number of players and support staff that need to be there. Like all of those things are very, very real. And yeah, there is going to be some meaningless basketball. There is going to be some weird stuff in the summer. Um, I'm not overly sympathetic to teams like Atlanta and Chicago and these groups that you know, tanked and didn't take the regular season very seriously for a long time. Now, all of a sudden it's, well, we want regular season games. It's like, okay, well, yeah, you could have dealt with them a little bit differently if that was the case, but you're right. Let's just call it what it is. I don't think that we need to sugarcoat it. The fact that the NBA came back with a format that is trying to maximize the the return on investment here, like trying to maximize the the TV money that is going to come into its league, that this is overwhelmingly positive for me from that aspect. Um, is there anything from it, like just from the pure, hey, this is what we have standpoint? Um, I know you mentioned the home court stuff to me, but is there anything in particular out of it that that you do maybe that you do like or that you don't like based on like what we actually have, not what we could have had? I mean, if we're going to be talking about giving home court advantage by having you be able to play on your own floor, can we at least bring four corners and have the same music? Can we at least have Mark Strong do the intro? Like... We we're gonna make it. Scotia Why can't they can we, do that remotely? Of course not. Can we, like they can, right? Yeah. Can we? Can we at least have uh, the few, you know, hundreds of people who are gonna be in this gym just watching because they're essential staff? Can they at least show up late to the first and third quarter so the Raptors feel like this is an actual game at Scotiabank? What I like and what I don't like. I mean, so I should say this because I'm already awaiting the, um, you know, oh, you're just a hater. To, it's good basketball is back. Tweets. Well, of course it is. Einstein. Like, thanks, Tips. I, of course it's back. I, I, perfect is the enemy of the good. I, although I, you know, would have done things differently, I'm happy that they, for now, are are, are coming back. So I'm not going to lose sleep over any of this stuff. Um, I do like the fact that once the playoffs hit, families can come. So it's not as if you have to be without your family the entire time, but it's also not a free-for-all where, you know, um, the entire entourage can come through and kick it. Um, so I, I thought that was a measured approach because I, I thought both would have been unrealistic and unreasonable. Um, as I don't know if the audio picked it up, you may or may not have heard my son scream. Oh, I heard uh, it. In the background? Okay, all right, I apologize. <laughs> so um, evidently he thinks that because I have a NBA credential that – he yeah. is going to Epcot Center, and that is yeah. not the case. He's like, what do you uh, mean no families? What do you mean no entourages? What do you yeah. mean no free-for-alls? Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, no, I, I, I did think that was, um, that was smart. But to me, the, the information, um, not to not answer your question, but the information I was interested in was about the health and safety protocols. Like, I thought I was going to get more about that, and, I, and maybe it's just a, an overall COVID fatigue, um, or maybe that will be ruled out at a different period, but I just feel like the conversation in terms of what the games may look like and if the home team is going to have an extra foul for one player, which is also kind of ridiculous. 
Um, more of the conversation was on, was on that and less of it was like, well, how are we going to do this safely? Like what, what happens if um, you know, Kyle, Kyle Lowry tests positive? Do we, do we know what the protocol is? Does he have to go away for, for two weeks? No, we do. And that is the case. We, we, so we, I thought we found out about what the, what the protocols were going to be in terms of, hey, all right, if someone tests positive, that the show is going to go on, that everyone is going to be tested and that everyone's going to be tested daily and that you are going to have to self-isolate for two weeks if, if you do test positive. Um, I, I do wonder what the number is. If I'm Larry Tannenbaum, and like there's we haven't sold tickets to any of these games, right? Like so when they happen, literally does not matter. And it's not a bracket, so we're reseeding, so we're waiting for teams to finish it. Anyways, can I just can I just put my second round game on pause until Kyle Lowry is back? Like so that those are the types of things that I'm I'm actually more interested in. But I but I do know that um you know the Raptors on their depth chart have the W and then the Marriott as second, depending on what their first-round opponent uh, chooses as their preferred home hotel advantage, I guess is how we would say that. I don't know how that actually happens. But, uh, no, but I think that your question about the testing or that your question about the COVID stuff is still really valid because we didn't go over a lot of things. And, and here's when you said about the, the COVID fatigue, I think that a couple of assumptions have been made, and it's why we haven't spent a lot of time discussing it. One is that... I think that people are just excited that that basketball is returning and so that automatically they just focused right on the game because I think that for two months essentially we were we were going over what what testing would look like and how many tests it would take and bubble environments versus ones so that there was certainly a level of fatigue that that we had played out a lot of these scenarios and we hadn't really gone down the rabbit hole of of thinking about stuff like quality of play or how we make home court advantage that those became new conversations that people gravitated towards. Um, the second part that you mentioned is why I was surprised that they announced the December start when they did. I really didn't think that the NBA was going to say, Hey, this is when the season's going to end. And this is when the season is going to start. And of course, these things are flexible. Of course, there could be delays. There could be things with the second wave. Like we, we can't say with any certainty that these are sealed in carbonite, that these are real things that are going to happen and that like they're immovable objects. But I just did find it kind of curious that the NBA did take away a little bit of that flexibility of, hey, what if, like you mentioned, for sure, Raptors fans care more about Kyle Lowry, but yeah, what if you do have Giannis Antetokounmpo, the reigning MVP, test positive, and there's a little bit of a standpoint where, yeah, okay, he tests positive and like maybe four of the other Bucks players, and they've got to go with like an extended G League rotation that, yeah, you don't have the option of maybe playing a series a little bit later that you are playing with these fast and hard dates. I would have liked to have known what the conversations were like amongst owners when it came to the scenarios for if star players or a bunch of starters tested positive and, and how that was going to affect things moving forward with, with these series, because yeah, you mentioned it, it's a league that stars matter and stars matter by far more than anything else when it comes to the quality of the product and your chance to win. Yeah. Um, we'll see. And again, it's, it's still early days, right? We're having this conversation in the second week in June, and we're talking about playing games in the last week of July. So still mm -hmm. lots and lots of time. But we, we had our, um, we were, a couple weeks ago, we had our rankings in terms of, um, you know, what league would you feel most confident in, in terms of them actually coming back and it coming to fruition? Um, I still, to this day, um, believe, I mean, the timing may not work out in terms of hockey and basketball, 
coming back before the NFL, but I, I believe that no matter what happens, kickoff is happening. Like, you know, Roger Goodell will, will steal a mask from your mom if yeah. he needs to give it to Drew Brees or Tom Brady. Um, but I, 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 at that moment, believe, and, and, you know, super producer Michael can correct me if I'm wrong, that I was the most confident about baseball and I was the least confident about, you know, basketball slash hockey. And, and now that is entirely flipped where yeah. I, I still will have some questions about hockey because there's so many players that are international and that clouds things. But I'm the most confident that basketball will be played and I am the least confident that baseball will be played, even though they have the most to lose because they have a whole season um, mm. in the brink. I just spent basically two hours talking about baseball and it, it actually makes my blood boil so much. Just the ideas of not only these guys is insensitivity to the climate for them to be fighting over these dollars, the way that they are and the way that they've been publicly throwing uh, jabs and barbs back and forth, but also just, yeah, what the, the, the limited foresight of both of these groups to figure out, like not only the opportunity that they've blown by having the chance to become the first teams back, but just the, the long-term ramifications that, that are going to happen, whether it's with the values of these sports franchises, with now having schedules moved around, um, the value of television contracts, with having more competition for baseball, the fact that they've diminished uh, their stars because they've, uh, they've pushed a lot of them as villains in this situation, and some of them have been really poor from a PR standpoint as well. It's just baseball's a tire fire. I completely agree with you. But this actually brings me to the last thing about the COVID thing, which is... I think the third part of it is that we've seen the successful return of the German Bundesliga. We've seen mixed martial arts go off in the UFC with relatively no hitches. And again, these are sports that present different challenges. And it's it's not all a vacuum here, but we're going to see the EPL come back, I think, in a, like a week or two. Is it June 15th where we, we have premiership soccer? Yeah, sounds about right. Right. I, I just think that we've seen these templates of the bubble league starting to work. And so the assumption is by a lot of people that we already have the formula down here that that ultimately the lot of these concerns, while they're valid, um, we may be overstating them to a certain degree based on what we've seen from some other professional sports leagues at this point. And that, yeah, maybe maybe it's not as big of a concern as we were doing before. I think that's right. I mean, I do think that like the level of play in, in the Bundesliga, which is which is back the level of play of soccer has been like pretty good like the energy is not there because the stadium's empty but it, it's not as if like you know passes are super sloppy and and mm -hmm. goalies are just fumbling the ball into the net um i'm hoping that there's light at the end of the tunnel these players actually know if and when they're going to play that no longer are they kind of just like aimlessly getting shots up. They're motivated, and um, that means that when it does come back, it's pretty good basketball. And I'm, I'll float this out there. What if it's even better? Like what if you just, you know, instead of running this marathon, you got like this interval before the last kilometer where you could just sprint? I, I, I don't know, but I wouldn't be – Super surprised if just the intensity, which always goes up in the playoffs, is so good because now everyone isn't drained. Like, remember last year, as good as Kawhi Leonard played, he was literally dragging his leg mm -hmm. up and down the floor. And in a way, that should be less of an issue this season. 
and, and on top of that, you're not going to have any travel. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too optimistic, but I do see a scenario where the level of play might not be worse. It might be better. I'm not worried about level of play one iota. I actually think that I'm I'm very much in your camp of this could be better for the state of play. First of all, everybody's going to come back relatively healthy here, right? Like you're going to see, and I know that Raptors fans aren't thrilled about this part of the equation, but you're going to see healthy Ben Simmons come back. You're going to give Joel Embiid an opportunity to get off of his legs and be able to rehab a little bit and maybe get into shape. Like I read something that the the Nuggets uh, VP of basketball operations says that Nikola Jokic has quote unquote a beach body and that he has abs, that some of these guys have used this downtime like many of us, which is when we don't have to focus on um, things like commute or some parts of our day-to-day lives, that it's opened up an opportunity for us to just work out more. And so that some guys are going to come back with like a prison body where you're, you've been stuck in jail, you've been stuck in a cell. And so you've just been doing a bench press and working out on, a, on an elliptical machine or a treadmill and that they're going to come back in great shape. A lot of guys are going to be healthy. There's not going to be the same injury concerns for people. Like, did you see, did you see the picture of Marcus Saul? Uh, I did. Okay. Someone like the picture of James Harden. Yeah. Oh, dude. Someone said James Harden's lost 20, 20 pounds. pounds. Yeah. 20 pounds. Like what? Like that. So I, I think that that's going to add a complete level of intrigue. I don't think that guys are going to show up out of shape. I've made this point before, but do you really want to be the guy on the Milwaukee Bucks who hurts Giannis's championship odds because you didn't take uh, quarantine seriously with your body? Do you want to hurt LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Kyle Lowry and Marcus? Like, I just, I don't think it's going to be that big of a thing. I think guys are going to come back. There's going to be some rusty games. The first couple regular season games might look like a Sunday morning in Toronto or a Sunday afternoon game in Toronto. But that, yeah, by the time we get to the playoffs, this is going to resemble something really great. I'm with you. I'm very optimistic about it. I don't think that guys with that skill set and these levels of athleticism and who keep their bodies in peak condition now, basically they're used to it for keeping in great shape for the course of a year, are going to be dribbling the balls off their foot and, and, and clanging shots short for the next two months. Yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not concerned. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season, and no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else, and it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox, sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe, and we got you. Okay, can I do a serious skinny Gasol take here? Can I just do this because it is trending right now and it's around? Sure. Okay. I, uh, skinny Gasol has totally flipped my, my outlook on the Raptors in the, the Orlando league. So the first thing I was looking at was, okay, the Raptors are going to get healthy and I'm excited about that. And, but everybody else gets healthy too. And, and I don't know if there's this, how, how do you balance the, well, the Celtics are going to have Kemba Walker back healthy and Giannis Atenekumbo isn't going to maybe have a lingering groin injury going into the playoffs, but we're going to say that Norm Powell's shoulder getting better or, um, Marcus Saul's lower body. Like, I, I just don't know how we do the equations here of what's equal and what's fair. I think that the Raptors benefited from it in a very similar way as the other teams. And that 
while they led the league in uh, man games lost to injury, that ultimately it was it was counteracted by just any team that had a star that was hurt. And that losing home court advantage hurts the Raptors more than just about any other team. Like Toronto has this really unique atmosphere that they play in and they've been unbelievably successful at home. And the last part of it is I think the Raps had this chip on their shoulder from losing Kawhi Leonard and rolling into the season and being the defending champions where people already started to talk about how they might not even make the playoffs. That was really working for them. And they had real momentum. They had real chemistry and they were rolling. They had that winning streak that they put together. They had seen the progressions of Siakam. They were able to overcome all these injuries that it was just, it was so ingrained into their identity that I was worried that stopping the, the games for four months and then they come back that it feels like another season. And all of a sudden the championship feels like, you know, two years ago and that that chip has maybe gone a little bit. Seeing Marcus Gasol in that great of shape made me remember how great young Marcus Gasol is. And all of a sudden I started thinking about how Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, all these guys that are still working and curating their games and who are all getting healthy altogether. A Marcus Gasol who is in, who got in a time machine and steps back and adds a level of athleticism to his game where maybe all of a sudden the post moves return a little bit. Maybe he's healthier and there's less injury risk in terms of him pulling something. Maybe he is a little bit more aggressive with his offense while still bringing you that elite level of playmaking ability with the defense. I just, I felt emboldened by that. I just thought, man, these guys still have that chip. They still want to get better. Marcus Gasol looks great. The Raptors... I just feel a little bit better about them. I don't know. Just from one picture of skinny Marcus Hall, it reminded me of skinny Lowry, the way that I felt optimistic about the Raptors playoff chances the following year after he got himself in great shape. I feel great about the Raptors and here's why they are the group. I think that the most, it's not just that they deal with adversity. It's that they do whatever they're told in, in a way. They're kind of like a college team where they actually listen to the coach, where there's no ego, where they get along, they have great chemistry, and where they can be a bit of a chameleon and roll with the punches. Not yeah. everything is going to be pristine and perfect. We saw that in their playoff run. We saw that really, maybe more so this year than ever before, with the amount of injuries, the amount of different lineups they had, the different styles of play that they had to go through. And so when you're talking about this very, very once-in-a-lifetime scenario. It's odd, unique. There's going to be challenges. No one really knows how to deal with it. And to be clear, I'm not just talking about the players. I'm talking about the entire organization and their ability to adapt and find some ingenuity to figure out solutions of touch situations. The, the fact that you're taking this team, you're putting them on a campus outside of their normal routine, but you're expecting them to continue to compete at a high level I, I think this, in a weird way, I'm, I'm pretty bullish, in fact, about how much this scenario, although it's not ideal, and although they're not going to have the benefit of their great home court, I think that this plays to them because you've got enough veteran guys who've seen and done a lot and will keep the main thing the main thing, and a lot of young guys who, quite frankly, don't know any better, and if Nick Nurse told them to do jumping jacks before they took a shot, they would do it. And so that's why I'm, I'm actually thinking that the Raptors are not going to be the type that are going to complain because the valet was not there on time. They're not going to be the guys who complain because, you know, they, they don't have their family with them for as much as they want to or they, they only can bring in five family or ten family, not 15. They're not going to be distracted by those other things. And I think the fact that they're playing in an empty gym in this totally foreign experience 
will be fine for them because they've just been so laser focused on the task at hand in all situations. Yeah, see, you even just made me think of a whole bunch of other things like, yeah, is it, it, it's got to be better to be a veteran in a spot like this, not only because, yeah, you might be a little bit more focused knowing that you only have so many rodeos to go, but yeah, a team like the Raptors where guys are also free agents and there's going to be money that's off of the table right now that, yeah, strong showings from the Ibakas, the Gasols, the Fred Van Vliet's of the world, like these, these are still going to be really, really important for these guys, um, that the coaching works for them. We're going to have we're going to have a lot of um, time over the next few weeks to talk about the wraps, because, yeah, I think that you make some really good points there that I could that I think we could go back and forth on for a really long time. But, yeah, the home court thing, they they lose the the benefits of, of playing in Toronto, which are huge. And especially since, you know, I've thought about, you know, you end up in a series against uh, a, a, one of the better teams, in the Eastern Conference, you end up in a seven game series against the Boston Celtics. And I'm sorry, but home court advantage matters to the Raptors. You get to that seventh game. You saw how it worked in the Raptors' favor um, last year against the Sixers. And I think that people can kind of acknowledge that if Toronto had to go back to Milwaukee for a Game 7, that that would have been terrifying for people. It, it felt the same way um, even when the Raps had to go back to Golden State. We know that they took care of business, but it was just that that feeling of, oh no, here we go, the, the pressures of that, and how it felt good having Game 7 knowing the finals were back in Toronto. It was a huge storyline. Like, home court, it matters. They, you mentioned kind of briefly the proposals that have happened. I don't think any of them are good. You can you can jump in if you disagree. I'll, I'll just kind of go over the ones I saw anyways. It was from Dave McMenamin reported them. And off the top of my head, it was so the ideas float around where uh, the team gets an extra possession. The home team gets a couple of extra possessions throughout the game that you would have your choice of the hotels, which again, I have no idea how that actually would be of real value. I'm assuming that they're all pretty much the same and that your stars are going to get the best rooms anyways. And the last one was the extra foul for one designated player. Obviously, none of those things are going to get passed. But do you like the idea of pumping in 2K noise? Like, do you like the home team having some control over the sound that's going to be pumped in here, having speakers that bring in your own home? Like, do you think that stuff matters? Or is are we really just, you know, wasting our time with any scenario that tries to replicate something that is really irreplicable without fans? Oddly enough, I think the 2K noise, the crowd noise, I think that's it's not going to matter at all. In fact, it'll be like a joke. But I do think... <laughs> it's really going to be weird. That, I don't know why they're doing I, that. I mean, the whole point of noise is that it is directly correlated with what happens in real time. The anticipation of, oh, he's about to take a three. Oh, it, it went in. That's the whole point of noise. Like Just to have a track yeah. of noise doesn't help um, unless you have someone riding the level so that the noise goes higher or lower at different moments. I, I, but this is a thing that I do think matters, oddly enough, is music. I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago, the New York Knicks had an experiment for a half where they had the game at MSG against the Warriors yes. without music. And of course it was just I remember. Squeaks, it so and it weird. was just Draymond being upset. And he was the most upset after the <laughs> yeah. game because he was like, this is ridiculous. I can't play like this. So yeah. just as if someone who works out at the gym and they're pumping their EDM and they need their music to get them through their hit workout going from station to station, I think there has to be music, no matter if it's determined by the home team, the road team, and neutral. I mean, if the NBA is smart, they're probably going to do a deal with Spotify. And, you know, hey, this game is DJed by DJ Nice tonight. And you can get the playlist after the game for, you know, $1.99 or something like that. But uh, you're welcome, NBA. I just gave you that. Um, but I think there has to be music because these guys, I mean, even when they're playing like Black Ops games or yeah. Crown League games, 
there or games that the drew there is always music so i think that's the thing that has to remain it can't just be quiet and, and quite frankly if there isn't music we're going to hear too much with those yeah. with those cameras and, and, and that also is going to be a problem yeah see i i didn't really understand the 2k noise thing because to me basketball is of all the leagues they're the one that really doesn't have a problem when it comes to noise because yeah we're all used to music being played as is right like if all of a sudden you hear music during a hockey game during the the, the play, you're going to think this is weird. If you hear it during football, you're going to think this is weird. They, this is the one place where you don't need to pump in ambient noise or fake crowd noises or video game noise. Just play music. Play the music of the choice of the home team. But you just gave me an, an idea for the NBA. Why not let the home team pick the music for while they're playing so they have their music that they like, whatever that may be, that... When they have the ball, it's their music choice. But also they get to choose the other team's music when they have the ball. So like all of a sudden it it's like, uh, you know, Gothenburg death metal <laughs> starts playing when the other team gets the basketball. Or it's just like a, a crappy country song when you have the ball. You don't think that would affect the other team a little bit? All of a sudden you're out of a rhythm. You're listening to just music that you hate. All of a sudden it's a, like a weird uh, weird form of uh, German tech music. Like, who knows? Just give me, give me that as an idea. Give me something. But you're assuming that you don't need that same type of music on defense to secure a loose ball or to clean the boards. I mean, I'd take I, I my chance. I would take my chances with the experiment. I think Pat Beverly is upset because he makes his <laughs> money on the defensive end, and he needs some two chains yeah. to get down in a defensive stance. <laughs> But what do you think about that idea, though? Like, is there something there? Is there at least or what if they did it where they were like, we get music while we play, but not while like we just turn it off like you on your offensive possessions. There's no music. I like that. I like that. I yeah, like that. I, I think that they should. They could at least experiment with something like that. But again, you're, you're right. They're going to hear too much. And I don't think that the players would mind it so much. I think that they're kind of cognizant, especially in the NBA, that if you have some more sound on your guys, that it's just going to be okay, that that people love NBA stars. I still think that it's coaches who, in all sports, freak out about every little piece of information that they can have lifted from them, that a, a coach doesn't want to be heard saying anything, that they're going to want the delays, they're going to want some type of protection from from the way that they speak. Yeah, I'm afraid. Like, in, you know, I, I haven't had the pleasure to sit close enough, but people who have, like, it's a, it's a different experience yep. when you're sitting courtside and you hear what players are saying to referees, players are saying to each other. And yes, I know people have camera phones and they can film that stuff, but that's another reason why they play music in NBA arenas, so that you can't hear it that clearly. So I'm very fascinated on how all of these things get handled because, I mean, yeah, hockey has some of the same issues, um, but it is a pretty Hockey's uh, is worse. unique in between the benches can be bad for sure. Yeah. But I, but I mean, in terms of like the cameras in, uh, and we'll see, these will be shot differently. But let's say historically, the cameras in a hockey arena are not nearly as close as they are, you know, around mm -hmm. a basketball court. You got to have a camera or two on the baseline alone, never mind. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we shall see. I just remember watching the first version of the uh, NHL. Uh, Road to the Winter Classic that HBO did. And I think it was Penguins Capitals. I'm pretty sure. And I just remember seeing clips of Sidney Crosby cuss out referees and being completely taken back. Like, what? Sidney Crosby swears at refs? And so I think there would be a little bit of that with hockey. Whereas with basketball, 
Uh, we're we're used to just having guys talk trash a little bit more. We're used to hearing at least little bits and pieces. We're used to the Kevin Garnett's of the world and other figures who who have spoken and who we have basically in mic'd up features. I know you got to run, but I'll ask you this on the way out. There's one player that you want to hear from the most in these like in these games without sound. That assuming that you'd be able to hear everything between the teams. Who's your NBA sound FX team in this tournament? If if we do get it an unfiltered or something close to it, I mean, so no disrespect to Patrick Beverly or or the Clippers as a whole because they would be a good team, but mm-hmm. it's Draymond Green. Like the little bit we heard in full, no, but he's him, not there. But he's not here. Not there? Oh, that's right. The Warriors aren't there. Yes, of course. Thank you. Because I was yeah. going to say the little bit that we heard of him cussing out Paul Pierce on the bench, yeah, um, was was amazing. Um, Oh, uh, ooh. I guess it has to be Beverly. Who else would there be? Oh, I know who I'm taking first overall. No doubt about it. I'm taking the Rockets, man. I want to see what Russell Westbrook is like for the entirety of a basketball game. Like, I just want to see Russell Westbrook going a thousand miles an hour for the entirety of the game, talking trash throughout the entirety of the game nonstop. And I love the way Russ talks trash where like, he talks down to you like he's disgusted by you that you would even try and defend him and that he's disgusted that you would even try to talk to him. I just I think that's the the highest level of being a badass when you're talking trash on a basketball court. Give me Russ. Give me the Rockets. Let me see what James Harden's trash talk game is like if he's got some at all. I I want I want the Rockets. Like no questions asked. That that is that is a good one. I mean, I would I would pick the Clippers although Kawhi wouldn't mm-hmm. say anything. But you know you got Morris, you got Montrez, you got Beverly, you got Doc with his hey hey come yeah. on <laughs> yeah I've like Doc lost his voice and just never got it back yeah um, but yeah the Rockets are a strong choice um, we got to wrap up you still have a very very busy day ahead of you so uh, thanks for fitting this in when you did um, thanks to the listeners for listening as always thanks for subscribing thanks for sharing on all of your different social platforms uh, wherever you get it uh, we appreciate the associates as always and we'll see you next week.